0: Hey, everybody, it's us, and we're here to talk to you about, get this, our book. We have a Stuff You Should Know book coming out this November, and you're going to love it, and you can pre-order it now.
1: That's right. It's called Stuff You Should Know,
0: colon. <laughs>
1: an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things. And it's been a lot of fun to work on, and we're really... I mean, genuinely excited about how this thing has come together.
0: Yep. It's 26 chunky, hairy chapters that are just going to knock your socks clean off. And yes, Chuck, we are indeed proud of this book. It is truly, indubitably the first Stuff You Should Know book. And it's coming out this November, and you can order it now, pre-order, everywhere you get books. So do that. And we thank you in advance.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's out there somewhere, which makes this stuff you should nizzle. Yeah, old school insect dish
1: from Robert Lamb.
0: I know. it's It's got mouth parts in it, but it's no Tracy Wilson joint. <laughs> yeah, it's Tracy. But it's still good. It's super charming. It starts. Robert starts this article out from the perspective of a a spider who has been dragged into a wasp's nest and is about to be eaten alive by a wasp larva. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. It's It's a good article, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And if you are not familiar with Robert Lamb, then friends, you are missing out on not one but two, no, three really great podcasts that that guy has put out Um what is it, Stuff to Blow Your Mind?
1: Of course, the the stalwart science tech, well, not tech, sort of science plus show.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, in-depth, like super deep rabbit hole, interesting stuff. And yeah. then um, uh, he did one called Transhuman.
1: Yeah, that's a fiction, scripted sci-fi, very cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then also uh, he and Joe, who he does Stuff to Blow Your Mind with, also do Invention too. Which is kind of an in-depth rabbit hole thing about invention. So check all those out, everybody.
1: Yeah, it was fun to kind of get back to basics with a nice little insect cast on wasps. And mm-hmm. dude, I went outside today on my side deck to let the dogs out, and lo whoop, and behold, I looked.
0: Whoop, re- whoop, whoop. What? I was. You said who let the dogs out? Oh, sorry. Or you said let the <laughs> dogs out. So I had to. I thought. Had to, <laughs> I thought you were saying wait, wait, wait. No, no, I was saying whoop, 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 whoop. Oh, boy. That was a wasp you nest know, on the ground. Okay, good. All right. That's Sorry, it. did I I knock the legs out from under that story? Yeah, it was just a wasp nest, but it was, you know, the timing was of Was it, it all. live?
1: Oh, I didn't poke it to see. It, it, was, it was not attached. I think it had fallen. So my guess is that it did not have any more wasps residing in it.
0: Man, that's got to be a real letdown because it's the middle of summer right now, so they're they're wanting to like grow there was probably larva in there huh yeah that's that's really weird they must have abandoned it then yeah and wasps are you know i
1: think you know everyone loves the bees now because sure. they should cuz bees are awesome and bees produce honey and we want bees to stick around but i think wasps and hornets which are a type of wasps uh are still just so maligned and they're the ones that people will reach for their can of Raid to spray. And With
0: you, no qualms.
1: Yeah, and you, you shouldn't. Don't do it. Let the wasp live. I'll go ahead and say it now. We're going to say it a bunch. Yeah. But let them yeah. live.
0: Totally, Chuck. Thank you. Yeah, we're here to open everyone's eyes to the function and purpose of wasps' existence. They're not like mosquitoes. Remember in the mosquitoes episode, we basically concluded that there's no reason for mosquitoes to be around, (laughs) and they just are terrible? Uh Um, Wasps are not like that. And I think Robert does a really good job of basically pinning down why wasps get such a bad rap. One is that their stings pack such a wallop compared to other stinging insects. Yeah, it hurts. And we'll talk about their, their stings and the venom that goes along with it. Um, which is so okay, that's fair. Like nobody wants to be stung by a wasp. It's really it can ruin your day. Um, and then also the other thing is is that it, the if you pay attention to wasps, you realize that they live these really brutal, grizzled existences. They're They're predators. And in fact, in their habitats, they're apex predators. They're like sharks and lions. But for the bugs and um, sometimes small animals that live around there, like, I didn't watch any of the videos that I could have because I'm just really over animal death, mm-hmm. even if it's nature. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah, when that's, I was where, doing, that's Emily. Um, when I was doing The End of the World with Josh Clark, like, I went into it just feeling fine about that. That's just nature. That's the way things work. And then one of the guys I talked to is David Pierce, who you and I talked to, actually, first in our Super Stuff Guide to Happiness. Oh, yeah. But I went back and interviewed him, and his whole jam is... Like, we could actually eventually engineer the, the biosphere so that there isn't any suffering among animals and, like, what we take as is natural is not necessarily have to be that way. Uh-huh. And it's really changed how I view, like, violence even among animals. So, anyway, the upshot is I didn't watch any videos, but one of the ones that I saw, the title was uh, Wasp Kills Baby Bird. <laughs> I so that video's out there if you want to see that. But I just can't. I don't I don't like to see that stuff anymore, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't really, like, enjoy it before, but now it just downright bothers me. Yeah.
1: I get it. That's. I, I live with uh, a person who can't watch anything like that, so I get it. Yeah. So there are more than 20,000 species of wasp. Uh, and like I said, hornets are a kind of wasp, so if you... Here, I mean, you would call a hornet a hornet, but you can't necessarily use them interchangeably. But a hornet no. is a wasp. And uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of, you know, over that 20,000 species, there are a lot of different kinds and a lot of variety uh, as far as what they look like and what they're shaped like and what color they are and how they like to live their life. But as with every insect cast, we're going to go over those body parts. Sure, and
0: because parts is in there somewhere,
1: <laughs> and it starts with that exoskeleton, uh, just like uh, all the little insect buddies have that chitin exoskeleton, and in the case of the wasp, they are very segmented out. They have three segments. You get your head, which has got those uh, antennae, the sensory antennae. You got mm-hmm. those mouthparts because they lick and they bite, and oh, then yeah. you have the very cool looking compound eyes and uh, simple eyes, these sort of kidney-shaped eyes of a wasp that are very sort of signature.
0: What are they known as in your Italian accent? Uh, Ocelli. <laughs> so if in the Italian, if a vowel follows a C, it Ocelli? makes a ch. Yeah, it makes a ch sound. If a C is followed by an H, it makes a k sound.
1: So is this really pronounced Ocelli?
0: Yeah. Okay. I think in, in like, uh, among biologists, they probably say Ocelli, but since you were doing the accent. Sure. I wanted to set you up for a lesson in Italian. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, Okay, so you've got the head. It has some eyes. It also has a brain chuck. Yeah. um, Which I saw, supposedly, wasps are among the smarter insects out there. They can recognize each other by face, by facial markings. Did you know that? Yeah. Hey, Steve. How you doing? Sting anyone? (laughs) Right. I'm doing okay, Ted. Thanks for asking. Just killed the baby bird. and <laughs> Some weirdo was was filming it and put it on the internet.
1: It, well, actually, Steve would say, no, I didn't sting anyone because I'm a man and I don't sting.
0: Uh, oh, yeah, that's a really great point, Chuck, um, which we'll talk more about later. You'd find the stinger in the abdomen, which is the third part, the lowest part of the, the wasp's body, but only in a female, which I think this is true for, for bees, too, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I don't remember. We've done a lot of good bee stuff. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And then in between those things you got the thorax which has the six little legs and then those those really quick flapping wings.
0: Yeah. So um in, in between the thorax and the abdomen you have a very narrow waist, which usually is what gives away a wasp. You can look at it and be like, That's a wasp. Yeah. Um it's like it's got a corset on. Unless it's a hornet. Hornets are much chunkier, more rotund. Yeah. Um but they are like you said a kind of wasp um and actually i think the gen- the genus that um hornets fall under is called vespa and vespa in italian means wasp so hornets are wasps in italian <laughs> okay okay
1: so i think one of the coolest thing about the wasp is the the history and the evolution of this thing um along with some pretty horrific uh, stuff that's going to follow. But about, in the Cretaceous period, about 100 million years ago, you had to kind of take a snapshot of planet Earth to understand how the wasp forms. And back then, they didn't have all these flowering plants like, like we have now. There were a lot of conifers, and these evergreens depended on the wind to spread their seed around. They weren't counting on the insects to do, to do this kind of thing at this point and uh and we should also mention that ants are a cousin of the wasp which makes sense they look kind of ant like
0: yeah i think they finally figured out that ants um evolved out of mud daubers they're their closest relative okay Which kind of makes sense i think they have some ant like behavior yeah
1: ant like uh so <laughs> the age of the uh during the cretaceous period these wasps were carnivores and they preyed on spiders and other insects and as plants started to evolve, they realized that, hey, there's a lot of insects flying around, going back and forth. Like, we're just using the wind to carry our seed around. Why don't we, why don't we get these insects to work for us, basically, and they can do the job?
0: Yeah, so that was the rise of the angiosperms, um, which is, you know, whenever you think of a flower that the bee visits and moves from place to place, carrying pollen, that's what an angiosperm is. Um, rather than having to just depend on the wind, you can depend on the insects. And so eventually over time, these wasps, these early predators that used to um, feed exclusively on other insects said, well, you know what, this, this whole nectar thing and the pollen thing, I can get with this. So they started to change their diet from um, insects to pollen and nectar. But the weird thing is, is rather than developing a way to feed their young from pollen and nectar, like honeybees, which I think is another reason people like bees and don't really realize it, uh, realize it mm-hmm. is that um, they're little vegetarian vegan animals. Yeah, maybe. You know? They're, they don't hurt anybody. They'll, they'll defend themselves, but they don't want to go hurt anybody. They're very peaceful. Wasps are not like that because even though they generally, most species of wasp, adults eat nectar and pollen they still kill other insects to drag back to their nest to feed their young to raise their young on so wasps are technically omnivores at the beginning of their life they're carnivores and then later in life they grow into um, herbivores yeah isn't that amazing it is wasps are way more amazing than i realized
1: should we take a break and talk about their stinger yes all right we'll be right back for stinger talk All right. Welcome to Stinger Talk. I'm Chuck. I'm Josh. Wait, no, I'm Ted. (laughs) I guess that makes me Steve. Yeah. Uh, Wasp stings are tough. Um, You kind of mentioned early on, it's, you know, you get a yellow jacket and that that doesn't feel great. Uh, And obviously we're talking about if you're non-allergic and it's not like a legitimate threat to your health and it's just the pain of the sting that we're rating here yellow jacket sting isn't great, but a wasp sting and a hornet sting is really something else it's it I feel like it it hurts more and for longer
0: and for good reason because it actually does um like bee venom is its own thing shares a lot in common with wasp venom. wasp venom seems to be this extraordinarily highly developed like biological weapon that is. This cocktail of different kinds of compounds that all come together to produce a horrible pain sensation that lasts longer and has a greater impact on your body than anything the actual sting produces. And that's apparently the whole reason behind it is it makes the wasps seem way less uh, vulnerable than they actually are. It seems like they're way more powerful. And for all intents and purposes, they are. But like, if you if you could take the venom out of the sting, the sting would would do basically nothing to you. But because that the the venom is introduced by that sting, and that venom is so potent, it, it's like one of the worst things in the world to get stung by a wasp.
1: Yeah, and the actual stinger itself was uh, it has a pretty remarkable evolutionary story. Uh, so here's what happens in the prehistoric times: this parasitic wasp would use this ovipositor. That's actually, you know, the egg-laying organ. They would use this pointy thing to lay the egg on a living insect. Like, they would lay the egg on the caterpillar, then these Mm -hmm. little larvae would hatch out, and then they would eat that caterpillar, the larvae would. So, at some point, as things are evolving along, Mother Nature says, you know what would be even better than this is if you could saw open that caterpillar with this ovipositor and lay eggs inside of this thing. And that's right. exactly what happened.
0: Right. Um, which made a lot of sense. And I think there's a lot of um, wasp species, or there's at least some, that still do this. Like, rather than build a nest, they just go find an insect host and lay some eggs on it or lay some eggs in it and then just let the larvae eat the eat them inside out. But um, most, I think, have evolved to kind of use some different techniques, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but the the stinger itself stuck around even after it stopped being used to actually deposit eggs into the insects directly. That's
1: right. Uh, and you talked about the venom that's obviously produced in the the venom gland, stored in a little venom sac, little burlap sack inside the wasp body, and then it seeps out. It's got a, it's a barbless stinger. It's just like a straight little pointy thing, but it seeps out through these little valves and coats the entire stinger. And so they store this stinger inside of a sheath and are always kind of ready to use it. And, you know, like we said, it's only the females because it was an ovipositor. But the males can pretend like, like they'll rear their little butt your way and say, mm-hmm. stay away from me. You don't know if I'm a male or a female, right? You don't want to look too closely, right?
0: Right, which is just hilarious. But it also, didn't that show like a certain level of intelligence as well? I think so. Or at the very least, there's to bluff. Some- some rem- yeah to bluff yeah. you know that's that takes intelligence um which is i think another another indicator that wasps are amazing
1: yeah and like you sort of hinted at the reason this venom is so powerful is it has a, it has a couple of functions is one is uh just the simple function of paralyzing those insects mm-hmm. and the other is as a defense like it's it's meant to sting something much much larger and have that thing hurt so bad that it thinks it's hurt a lot worse than it is and, like, just wants to get out of there, basically.
0: Right. And then that combined with um, their very, usually very bright colorings, because, you know, usually the more colorful an animal is, the more toxic it is. It's just kind of a universal symbol in nature to just steer clear. Um, And hornets and wasps typically are fairly colorful as far as insects go. So those two things combined can teach a, a larger animal... Pretty quickly to just leave them alone, and that's kind of how how wasps have have made it this long. I mean they've been around for more than a hundred million years, you know, yeah, um that's a pretty successful species or, or family of insects,
1: yeah, and that includes humans, obviously if uh sure, if you go poking around a hornet's nest or a wasp nest and you get stung, you're not going to finish the job, <laughs> you know you're probably just going to get out of there,
0: yeah, yeah, hopefully. You can learn your lesson that first time, you know? Yeah. Or maybe you don't even have to learn it directly. You can just know to stay away from the (laughs) wasp. So what's in that venom? Oh, some really good stuff. I actually found even more stuff than Robert included here. Ooh. There's some peptides and some enzymes. Um, Some of the enzymes include phospholipase (laughs) A and B. Uh-huh. Phospholipase A and B. Um, and these actually break down the membrane and lipid um, coating of cells in your body to basically spill their guts into your bloodstream. And that includes neurons. Neural cells can be spilled into your bloodstream when they encounter this uh, peptide, which sends a, a excruciating pain um, notification to your brain saying, yeah. alert, alert. You're in a tremendous amount of pain. Yeah. that's just like step one.
1: Yeah, uh, they also have uh, norepinephrine in there, which stops the blood flow temporarily, and that's why, like that, when I said it feels like it lasts longer, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the norepinephrine, at, norepinephrine at work, because mm-hmm. it just sort of sits in one place, and eventually the bloodstream is going to kind of dilute it away, but it kind of hangs out there for a little while.
0: Yeah. That 's just mean um, there's also acetylcholine, which actually goes to your pain receptors and stimulates them, right? Wow, and there's also histamines um, oh, yeah. and histamines are released by your body they 're responsible for the inflammatory response, but they also um, the the uh, venom in a wasp's uh, venom is, uh, includes histamines directly too, just to make sure that it gets that inflammation. Good and, good and primed.
1: Yeah, and then there's, oh, I was hoping you would take this part because of that word. You want to try it?
0: Hyaluronidase? Oh, well. <laughs> well, I use hyaluronic acid under my eyes, so I'm familiar. Oh, do I'm you familiar. really? Sure. What's that? It's like a, <laughs> it's an acid. <laughs> <I> mean, what's <laughs> it put for? under your eyes. Um, I don't know. I think for bags and- Oh, like eye just bags? Just to generally keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to keep your eyes looking sharp. Oh, wow. I noticed your eyes look, always look so sharp. I thought I thought you'd notice eventually.
1: <laughs> so uh, that thing that you just talked about and then something <laughs> called loranidase. MCDP, Mass cell degranulating peptide, mm-hmm. this stuff actually melts through the connective tissue between cells mm-hmm. and basically just sort of it destroys those membranes and allows the venom to move a little more freely than it would ordinarily.
0: Yeah, and the, the uh, mast cell uh, degranulating peptide, degranulating means that it basically goes to your mast cells and squeezes the histamines out of them. So not only does it contain histamines already, not only does it trigger a histamine response or release, it goes and gets it out of the cells that normally carry it around in your in your immune system. Um, so it's just really mean, nasty stuff. One of the other things I saw that they've just started to kind of um, pay attention to is called Brady bradykinin, and it's associated with chronic pain. So wow. on top of acute pain production, they're like, how about a little dose of what it feels like to have chronic pain too in the mix of all of this stuff? And then, Chuck, tell me this isn't astounding. I got a couple more. One thing is just called antigen 5, which is as cryptic as it comes. They don't know exactly what role it plays, but they know it's a very powerful allergen. And then there's uh, a couple of peptides that are antimicrobial, which prevent the wasp from contracting an infection from a prey that it puts its stinger in. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is some amazing stuff. Yeah, and I didn't
1: see... I saw that hornets can sting again and again and again... Mm-hmm. But I don't know about the, the wasp in general. Is that the case? Yes, definitely. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Because a hornet is just a type of wasp. So you've got like mud daubers, the kind of wasp. A hornet is a kind of wasp. And there's like many types of hornets, but they're all wasps. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. So yeah, they they can sting again and again and again, which apparently is another reason why their sting hurts so bad. They can do this to you and inject this venom into you. I saw one expert interviewed on a different Works article that said uh, an average of 10 times. Like, if you get stung by a wasp, usually you're going to get stung more than once, and it can be 10 times, I guess, on average. I don't know if they just pulled that out of the air, but they were a wasp expert, so hopefully not.
1: Well, you know those murder hornets that are making the news these days in the States? Mm -hmm. Those things can kill small rodents with a full charge of a sting.
0: Right. The Asian
1: uh, giant hornet, which they found, I think... I think three of them in the Pacific Northwest that uh, they thought they got rid of last year, but it turns out they survived the winter. A queen did, yeah. And um, you know they call them murder hornets because they kill bees. And those I didn't know this. It was a big because uh, it was just sort of a back page thing. But in 2016, a package of murder hornets was intercepted at San Francisco uh, International Airport.
0: Mm-hmm. And I saw that too.
1: they destroyed that, so it didn't become a thing. But they're a real threat to bees, so that's why people are sort of writing about murder hornets now invading uh, as an invasive species here in the U.S.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, it's really doing an injustice to the hornets, unfortunately, because calling them mur- murder hornets, like, if you read some of the articles on it, like, people will say outright, like, you know, they'll, they will they can kill people very easily, and that's just absolutely not true, Um and it makes it sound like they're a threat to humans, like you said, the big threat is to honeybees, and specifically it's to European honeybees because they haven't evolved around um, murder hornets or Asian giant hornets. Asian honeybees have, and they actually have a defense to where when um, the giant hornets show up, like you were saying they just, like murder hornet is a good term if you're a honeybee Mm -hmm. because just a few of them, Showing up at a hive can just destroy a colony in yeah. a few hours and they do it in a really brutal way they like c- they decapitate the bees and just kill an entire colony in a few hours and they do it because they're one of the few species that that um they're omnivorous but most of their food comes from meat they're mostly carnivores so they're eating Human like, babies. all these bees basically <laughs> they yeah they just carry your baby right off out of its crib um th- but they they can wipe out a whole colony like this if they run into a uh, asian honeybee colony those bees have developed a response where they'll swarm around one of the asian giant hornets and they'll flap their wings a bunch and generate heat and they'll cook the hornet alive inside the swarm that was that's their defense European honeybees, which make up a lot of the honeybees, most of the honeybees in the United States, they don't have that defense. So it's a big problem if the the Asian giant hornet gets a foothold here.
1: Yeah, and it will pack a lot more of a punch, too. Um, They have about seven times uh, potency as a honeybee's venom. And as Mm -hmm. far as the pain scale, they likened it, getting stung by a a murder hornet is – they likened it to, like, between three and ten. Like, if you were to be stung by three to ten yellow jackets all at once.
0: <laughs> it's so awful. Yeah. Because a yellow jacket sting is nothing to sneeze at either. No, I mean, that's a kind no of wasp, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't get – I haven't been stung in a long, long time. Knock wood.
0: Knock on wood. I got stung a couple summers ago.
1: I'm not allergic or anything, but, you know, my story, I told it back with the bee thing, was when I was hiking that time and I got tagged 11 times in the face oh, and neck. Oh, man. Uh, When I stumbled, it was one of those underground hives Mm -hmm. that I just walked over. And, you know, you see two or three bees. You're like, oh, what's going on? Then you see 10, and then all of a sudden (laughs) they're everywhere, and you're just running like a moron through the woods toward the river basically. But, yeah, I got hit 11 times, and, uh, you know, that could have killed me if I was allergic out in the middle of nowhere like that.
0: Sure. I thought you were allergic, so we just lied on that episode of the Seventeen TV Show. <laughs> yeah.
1: Huh. Yeah. It was painful. there was one, I think that got the deepest on my eyebrow bone, my orbital bone, and Ow. it went straight through. And I could, I could almost <laughs> feel it on my bone. And that's the one, like I had <laughs> a hard time getting it out. It was so embedded, and it felt like somebody. And I, I, I know I used the same uh, analogy back then, but. It felt like somebody had a tiny little, you know, the little nails you hang pictures with. It felt like somebody had that poking that bone, and they were just tapping it with a hammer in this, like, oh regular beat.
0: That is awful. It was terrible. Man alive. Yeah, it sounds like you stepped on a yellow jacket nest because they, yeah. they nest in the ground. And they follow you, too. Like, yeah. I, I, they were gonna they, where are you going to come after going until I got. Where are you going, yeah. huh? Uh, I think we should take a
1: break, maybe, and talk about nesting right after this. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, Chuck. So we're moving on from venom. I think we made our point. Venom from wasps is pretty serious. Um, And if you want to avoid getting injected with venom from wasps, you want to learn to know what a wasp nest looks like so you can avoid the wasp nest altogether. Because some wasps are um, more aggressive than others. And if you get anywhere near their nest, they're going to be like, let me just give you a little lesson about getting close to my nest. And they'll sting you, right? Yes. You want to get away. So the um, kinds of nests that you see um, hanging from trees, that's a kind of wasp nest. That's a paper wasp nest. Um, There's mud dauber nests. There's nests in the ground that are yellow jacket nests. Wasps make a bunch of different kinds of nests, and for you to survive in the world, you have to know what each one looks like and be able to sense them out with your your nose.
1: Yeah, when I think of, of wasp nest in Georgia at least, I think of that honeycomb style uh, where it's just a bunch of little tiny holes, and it looks like uh-huh. it's made out of paper because it kind of is in a way.
0: Yeah, I think those are bald-faced um, hornets. Or wasps. I can't remember which one. I think those are the wasps. Um, and they actually chew up wood fragments that they'll get from, say, like your deck or if your kid only has those old-timey wood toys, they might <laughs> chew those up if they're in the yard. And then they take that and turn it into actual pulp, like paper, and they spit it out and make a basically a paper mache nest. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive, but that's why those things look like they're papier-mâché because they basically are.
1: Yeah, and they're light like papier-mâché, and they're fairly intricate if you look at them. They have some of them have what looks like little roof eaves. Um, They can be they're like I said super light, so they can be dangling from a really small sort of thread-like. I don't even know what you would call it. Just a. Thread?
0: Yeah, sort of like thread, I guess. (laughs) Suspension cable? Yeah, suspension cable, exactly. We'll go with that because it sounds like it's a little sturdier. Although, is that the kind that you found in your yard today?
1: Yeah, I found— you let the dogs out? Yeah, I found one of those uh, laying on the ground. When I was a kid, you know the big hornet's nests that are the big sort of— also sort of looks like paper mache but it's more gray, and it doesn't have the, the little holes. It's just got one central entry point. And it's about as big as a football. Yeah. Those were sort of like country decor. Did you ever know anyone who had one of those in their house?
0: Yes. Murderers, serial killers. (laughs) We would had one.
1: My dad climbed up a tree to get one of these. It was emptied, thank goodness. Uh, (laughs) And we had that thing, you know, mounted on a log above our fireplace for years.
0: Really? Yeah. It
1: was weird. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah.
0: I don't remember which kind that is, and I, I mean, I've looked at so much stuff about wasps. I think it was the, the white-faced hornet,
1: if I'm not mistaken.
0: Okay, is that who it is? All right. Who yeah, are those very things aggressive. can get pretty big, and they're, yeah. yes, and they're big. Um, the, the, like you said, the size of a football, their nests can get pretty big. Um, but yeah, they they that's a good one to avoid. I didn't realize that they were aggressive, huh?
1: Yeah, you don't want to mess around with one of those nests. You don't want to go poking it.
0: From what I saw, though, mud daubers, which actually make theirs out of mud, they're the ones that, you know, those tubes that usually yeah. come down from, like, the ceiling down the wall? Uh-huh. Those are actually mud tubes that the mud dauber has made. And mud daubers, we should say, they're basically two kinds of wasps in the world, wasps and hornets, social and solitary. And solitary is exactly what it sounds like. They, It's just a single wasp, a female, living on her own, Um, she'll mate with some male wasp and then go off, make her own nest, either burrowing into the ground or if she's a mud dauber, she'll make a mud nest. So when you see a mud dauber's nest, like stop and be like, I respect that because that was made by one single wasp on her own with zero help whatsoever. She made that nest, um, which I, I just find extremely impressive by chewing up mud and just slowly but surely building it, spinning mud out onto the wall
1: yeah and if you're a social wasp uh you are it's sort of bee like in that they're working for the queen um maybe more than one queen, even, but you have these male drones that are there to mate, and you have these female workers who build the nest and they hunt for food and mm-hmm. tend to these little larvae, but it's basically all about getting the queen to live through the winter to the next season. Um, like, they will all leave the nest, and I think, I think the queen is the only thing that overwinters. Isn't that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. the queen, Yeah, if they raise queen larvae, um, the queen will, will live until the next winter and start over again, basically creating eggs of uh, sterile female workers to help her to hatch and then help her build up the hive, raise um, male drones. Or No, is the drone the worker? No, the drone's a male that's just used for reproduction, right? Yeah, um, and then eventually raise little queens. Um, so it's pretty pretty interesting, especially as far as like social insects go. There are very few species of um, social wasps and hornets, but the ones they are that are, are pretty, they're they're highly social, even among like social insects. They have pretty intricate, complex societies. Like um, some of these, the, the social wasp nests. I think um, including yellow jackets, will have multiple queens. And there's one head queen who has basically beaten up other queens to establish her dominance. And then she'll have the most eggs. And then the next layer down will have the second most eggs and so on and so forth. And that takes like a certain amount of cooperation to... Maintain and respect that type of hierarchy to keep that society functioning the way it should, especially considering you have to to reinvent the wheel every year after winter comes and goes
1: yeah yeah, absolutely, uh, and they talk to each other too in a way they communicate um, especially if there 's a threat via pheromones, so mm-hmm. that 's why you are more likely to get swarmed rather than just like if you 're an actual threat to a to a nest. They can send a signal that says, hey, everybody, this jerk over here has got a, this kid has got a stick and he's coming at us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's get him. And if they if they die, actually, they release that. It's like a byproduct of their death is releasing that same pheromone. Yeah, man down. Basically, they turn into like Harry Dean Stanton in Red Dawn where they're like, avenge me. <laughs> uh, I, guess you- I have that one written down. By the way. <laughs> I
1: guess you didn't see the uh, the video then of the the tarantula hawk, since you're not so, into those?
0: <laughs> no, but I've seen one in person, actually.
1: Yeah, the pepsis wasp is known as the tarantula hawk because they lay eggs inside of a paralyzed tarantula, and the larvae eat the tarantula from the inside out. And I was like, i gotta, got to see this. And, of course, on YouTube, there is <laughs> a pepsis wasp battling it out with a tarantula, and it's no match uh, and it paralyzes this tarantula and drags him back, like, a great distance. Like, yeah, you that's, see a well, wasp one thing. pulling this tarantula across the ground.
0: Yeah. Which is much, much, much larger. But the tarantula, like you said, is no match. And uh, even among humans, I think the tarantula hawk's um, sting is, uh, like, a four out of four on the Schmidt pain scale. Like, it's as bad as it gets. Because you they're, know
1: why they asked Mr. Schmidt how bad's that hurt, and he's like,
0: "Oh my gosh, it's terrible." <laughs> he said, <"Y-ow." laughs>
1: um, but "Yeah."
0: But so, yes, and, and they're very bright blue and orange too, which is another oh, yeah. another indicator. Like, stay away, stay away. <laughs> if you see anything that's really colorful. Just assume it can it can mess you up pretty good. Yeah, don't lick like the that tarantula hawk. That's the case.
1: Don't lick that colorful frog.
0: So, but even if they even if it's not a, a wasp taking down a tarantula. And laying eggs inside it that eat the tarantula from the inside out. Um, Almost all wasp species, if not 100% of wasp species, um, they like we said they raise their young by by paralyzing other insects, dragging them to their nest, and laying the eggs nearby, leaving the bug to be paralyzed and still alive when the egg hatches and larva crawls over and starts eating that bug alive. And this is one reason why wasps have such a bad rap, because it's just such a brutal It's like a horror movie. circle of life. It really is, yeah, especially from the perspective of the the insect. And apparently Charles Darwin said um, when he witnessed this happening to a a cute little caterpillar that it made it difficult for him to believe in an omnipresent and beneficent god. Because... What kind of God would allow a poor, a cute little ca- caterpillar to do that? Yeah. The thing is, is, Charles Darwin, I mean, he liked to putz around in the garden, but he was not a farmer. If you're a farmer, you're probably kind of happy to see a wasp larva eating a caterpillar because sure. caterpillars eat your crops. And if you ask me, um, this is where we get to the part about the the roles that wasps play in the ecosystem and why you shouldn't just go willy-nilly killing them.
1: Yeah, I mean, they'll bring in wasps. Uh, farmers will sometimes if they have, like, an insect issue because the wasp mm-hmm. is going to take care of that naturally and you won't have to use, you know, insecticide and stuff like that.
0: No, That's so great. plus also bees are usually kind of finicky, I saw, as far as what they'll pollinate and what they won't. Wasps are not at all finicky. They'll pollinate whatever. So they're non selective pollinators, which makes them, like you could use them to pollinate any kind of crop, which makes them pretty helpful. And so they control other crop-destroying insects, and they also pollinate crops, too. So they are pretty useful. So that means that you shouldn't just go around killing them. I think we should say it again.
1: No, you shouldn't uh, kill anything except mosquitoes, fleas, and ticks.
0: And you also can't say, well, they're, they're a threat to humans, because I looked up some stats, Chuck. You ready for this? Yeah,
1: you're not going to get killed with, from a wasp, are you?
0: No. I mean, yeah, but no, you're not. (laughs) So combined, bees, wasps, and hornets, and hornets are just another type of wasp. (laughs) Is that so? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hadn't heard. Um, They kill about 62 Americans every year from anaphylactic shock, right? Oh, wow. By contrast, 300 Americans die from falling off of ladders every year. (laughs) In the U.K., get this, between 2006 and 2007, Eight people died from bees, wasps, or hornet stings. I'm including bees here, by the way. And then in Australia, where you would guess that half the human population is killed off every year by bees and wasps and has to regenerate every spring. Now, between 2000 and 2013, there were only 27 deaths total for that 13 years from bees, wasps, and hornet stings, which is pretty astounding. But it all goes to say, like, don't listen to the murder hornet rap. The hornets and the wasps aren't out to kill you. They don't want you anywhere near their nests. But they're not like trying to 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 wipe out your family. They just want to be left alone, basically. <laughs>
1: the murder hornet rap. Yeah. Now here is a hornet, and it's here to say, "I come to <laughs> a kill
0: people in a major <laughs> way."
1: Uh, I think I can't wait to re-listen to this one because I'm pretty sure you said that they kill 62 million Americans every year.
0: No. I think you did.
1: I might have been hearing things. It might have been a computer glitch. Just 62. Okay. Six to the two. (laughs) I really am curious on uh, if you said million. So We'll find out. That'll be an Easter egg for us only. Uh, So, yeah, don't kill the wasps. If you have what you think is a wasp problem at your house, you really don't unless it's, you know, I mean, if you have a really big wasp nest like, Right above your front door or something, I could see maybe a case being made for removing it, uh, having it professionally removed.
0: Or if your kids are playing out back and there's a sinkhole from a yellow jacket's underground nest, where there's hundreds of yellow jackets, and if you're allergic, getting that removed too.
1: But in general, like wasps aren't after you; they don't want anything to do with you. Mm
0: -hmm. They're
1: not aggressive toward humans unless you come poking their thing with a stick. Um, I love this. Robert says. And this takes, like, nerves of steel. And he's like, if one lands on you, uh, don't panic. Avoid swatting it or making swift movements. And just kind of sit there, and it'll quickly fly off.
0: <laughs>
1: like, I, I don't want to kill a wasp, but if a wasp lands on my arm, I'm not going to be like, all right, little fella. You're just just going to give you some time. Go mosey along. No, I, I, would, I would freak out and flail. I wouldn't swat at it because I feel like I would get stung for sure, but I would definitely – sure. Do a you know
0: ah <laughs> right? You got to try not to do that. You have uh-huh. to listen to Robert and, and don't panic. Good luck. Every time I see "Don't Panic" in the wild, I just assume that it's a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> don't you? Yeah, I think so. So there's there's standing still. That's one thing. When one lands on you, um, okay, that's that's great. Things you can do to keep them from landing on you, though, are to not wear white and yellow outdoors. Yeah. Okay. I, I like white and yellow. They uh white or yellow doesn't look good on me anyway. Um but those colors attract insects. Um you don't want to wear perfume cuz you may confuse them into thinking you're a flower. Sure. Um if you have your garbage can uncovered, don't stand next to it. You want to cover your garbage can.
1: Yeah, especially if you're us. We got a we got the stink. I always call it the stinkiest garbage can in Atlanta. <laughs> I so nasty. Ours is pretty bad too. It's a lot of years of um, cat litter. Oh yeah, that's a stink. And dog poop. Um
0: and then you uh you oh, you can take down nests yourself if it's below 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 15.5 degrees Celsius because they're probably dead in there anyway. So it's a good time to take it down. But for the most part, we're just going to go ahead and say Don't take down a wasp nest that you want out of your yard by yourself. Just don't do it. Hire a professional. There are people who will take money in exchange for coming to to get a nest out of your yard. You can give them money for that, and they know what they're doing. So you can feel good about that, about hiring them. And it also supports local business, too.
1: Yeah, and don't get that uh, wasp spray that sprays from, like, 20 feet away and just go home and, like, attack these nests with poison. Yeah. Just don't do it. No. Stop killing things.
0: What else you got? I got one more thing. You have anything else? Nope. Okay, so in Japan, it always circles back to Japan, doesn't it, Chuck?
1: Yeah, if if it's quality and good.
0: including their um, in, um, Including the Asian giant wasp as well as yellow jackets and some other types of wasps. Japanese culture or culinary culture loves wasp larvae. But to get wasp larvae, you have to go out in the wild, find a wasp's nest in the summer, and then take it back home without getting stung and raise the larvae yourself. And then when they're ready to go, you harvest them and eat them in the fall, which is pretty interesting in and of itself, right? Yes. It gets even more interesting than that because to find a wasp nest in the woods— What they do is they take raw fish, Japanese love raw fish, but they share some of theirs with um, wasps, and they leave it out as bait, and then when a wasp shows up, they'll take chopsticks and a little hunk of this, this fish meat that they have a string tied to, and they'll hand it to the wasp, and the wasp will fly off with the hunk of fish to take back to its larva, its eggs, with the string dangling, which makes it easier to follow back to the nest. And after doing this a few times, they're probably successful enough that they track the wasp all the way back, they don't lose it, and they find the nest, and then that's when they take it home and tend to the larva. And then they eat it in the fall.
1: That sounds familiar for some reason. I might have heard that before. Isn't that cool? It's amazing.
0: Uh, Amazing. Well, that's all I've got for wasp, Chuck. Wasp out. Uh, So uh, since Chuck said wasp out, that means it's time for listener mail.
1: Uh, I'm going to call this, Adam, I think you were wrong, and Josh was referencing They Might Be Giants. It's a long-winded title. Okay. Hey, guys, in your episode, How We Almost Got Rid of Polio, you read a listener mail uh, that referred to How Flamethrowers Work uh, episode. However, I'm somewhat sad that the reference wasn't made for the They Might Be Giants song, Istanbul, Not Constantinople. Josh Uh made the statement, and it was a wonderful wasted opportunity well, that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I said not
0: Constantinople.
1: Yeah, you were talking yeah. about that They Might Be giant song, right? Yeah, of course. You just didn't. doesn't get me. He just didn't say, hey, by the way, that's the They Might Be Giants song.
0: Hey, everybody, open up for the spoon feeding.
1: <laughs> uh, just thought I'd drop you both a line. I love the show and enjoy listening to it daily to and from work, especially the wit and dry humor. Even though it goes over your head sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. He said, it's very much my style, so much so that you aren't sure if there was a joke even told. Wow, this is getting very meta. Uh, uh, You both make my commute tolerable and enjoyable. Thanks, guys. That is from Adam
0: P. in Gulfport, Mississippi. Nice. Adam, for you from now on, whenever I make a joke, I'm going to add waka waka at the (laughs) end. (laughs) That'll do it. That'll be just for Adam. (laughs) Uh, Thanks a lot, Adam. We appreciate that. and Thank you for listening to us and for letting us rag on you. We do it lovingly and jokingly. We hope you know. Of course. Uh, If you want us to rag on you, well, you send us an email and see what you get. Look up and see what you get. (laughs) Uh, You can send it to Podcast at iheartradio.com.
1: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.